From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, November 16, 2017. This is episode 30, Knowing Yourself. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff that you might care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests. Leah Becerra is the digital editor at the Kansas City Star. Hello and welcome to Download. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. A first-timer, but we also have a returner, James T. Green, artist and radio producer in New York City, formerly of Chicago, now residing in New York City. James, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. I just came back from Chicago and I had a deep dish and it made me happy. You know, Alex Cox <laughs> made us eat like 20 different times of 200 different kinds of Chicago pizza when we were there. And uh, oh, she told me. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a lot of pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't eat pizza for a while after that, but it was good and, and bad. Some of it was bad. Some of it was good. The good stuff was good. Anyway, Chicago, New York, lots of pizza controversy. Not our topic. Believe it or not, we're not going to talk about pizza. We are instead going to talk about the most interesting stories of the week, as chosen by me and download producer Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. We got some. Uh, we got some good. We're taking taking like the big picture here, which is also code for you know the week before Thanksgiving in the U.S. Not a lot going on, but <laughs> no, it's quite week. <laughs> we we uh, we instead we're you know this is our trick is that we get to find interesting stories to talk about. Now I want to start by talking about. Um, it's kind of a broad subject, but it starts with a story, which is that it is great to have James here on this uh, on on the show. The last time James was on, since then, um, something happened, which is that James got an <laughs> alert on his Apple Watch from a special app saying you may have un what, what was it? It was, it was an irregular heartbeat, something something an elevated heartbeat, and you uh, discovered something about that. Could you tell the story a little bit? Yeah, so so this was um, absolutely bonkers, um, to say the least. <laughs> um, basically, what was happening was, um, so I suffer from extremely generalized anxiety, and so I'm used to having like a high, like a higher than normal heart rate, um, and what I was noticing because I wear my watch like pretty much everywhere is um like even when i was sitting down at my desk doing work um i kept getting these uh pings i was using the uh app heartwatch um and the reason why i downloaded that app was because i still have the uh series zero mm-hmm. um so it doesn't support the uh new um heart rate alerts so i was noticing i was getting all these pings on my watch um of a high heart rate but i'm like not doing anything <laughs> um so i decided to like go for a walk and then my heart rate just starts to like skyrocket, um, like to way high levels. Like we're talking like one sixties. Um, and I'm looking at my health data and it's like, okay, I got like a resting heart rate of 55. Like this shouldn't be happening. So I immediately jet on over to the, um, doctor and I'm telling the doctor, I'm like, Hey, something's like not right. (laughs) My heart should not be spiking this high. Um, and the doctor was like, Oh yeah, you probably just have a panic attack. And I literally had to like pull out my phone, show the health app. show like, here's my normal rate. These are all these spikes happening on my chart. This is something else. Um, so she agrees, gets me a CT scan. 
get the CT scan, they find multiple clots in my lungs. And then next thing you know, I was on an ambulance going through Midtown Manhattan on the way to a hospital where they essentially hooked me up with a bunch of uh, cords and pumped blood thinners all through my body, got rid of the clots, um, found out I had a pulmonary embolism, which is pretty much clots that hang out in your body, shoot up to your lungs and your heart and your brain. Um, and they said, if you didn't, if you came here a little bit later, it could have been fatal. So that is what happened. So life logging and uh, personal health data, which is, I mean, were you, were you doing it because you were concerned that you had a problem or is it just because it's kind of fun to have all that data? Um, so, so I had a pulmonary, um, embolism before a couple years ago before Apple watch. And weirdly enough, like when that first one happened is kind of like what started this whole thing about like, Hmm, I want to like be a little bit more aware of Hmm. like my body and like what happens with certain things. Um, so, you know, like I kind of take everything to the to overboard. <laughs> so, so I jumped all in and was just like, let me start tracking my food. Let me start tracking my sleep, my water, like all these things. Um, and when the watch came out that obviously like brought in like heart rate data. And by that point it was already like ingrained in my normal like habits. Um, and so I, I guess like also like, you know, I'm a big nerd. So I like having data about myself and, um yeah this is kind of how it all ended up well we're, we're glad you're okay it's me too <laughs> it's cool that that this tech that they keep telling us is great for everybody's health and that we you know we saw apple on stage about the new apple watch and the new watch os talking about heart rate alerts um and that even though you didn't have that you know that was an interesting context but to have somebody uh that we know go through this and have this happen it does point to this larger issue right which is how many people are going to walk around with something on their wrist or or somewhere else on their body a sensor a smart device of some kind that alerts them about something that could have been really dangerous like how many i i don't want to get too dramatic and say just how many lives could be saved although i think that's part of it right but it's also just how many people's lives can be changed or improved uh by being aware of something that that they just wouldn't have been aware before they had a little computer strapped on their wrist or other part of their body somewhere yeah and the wild thing about it is like you know you 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 tend to forget about it um because like you know, it, it looks like a piece of jewelry. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you just wear it like you do a normal watch. And I don't know. I find it really interesting that like, because it's so passive, like that's kind of what came into play. Like I wasn't wearing like a heart rate monitor. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's essentially a toy. Leah, what do you think about uh, all these uh, digital uh, body monitors? Is this something that interests you or is this something that does not you know, doesn't doesn't excite you. And, I mean, it definitely interests me a lot. I I don't actually own a smartwatch, though I have wanted one for a long time. I use a um, far more passive wearable device that's just looking at steps and sleep trends and stuff like that. Um, but what I've read, at least in the health industry, is that they actually think it makes more sense for wearables for people who have health issues and who are trying to. I guess, um, see the early signs of complications. It's better to have a wearable that's more specialized for whatever their problem is. So I love this story so much 
because of the fact that it's just an Apple Watch. It's just something that people buy because they want to get notifications on their wrist a lot of times, and it made a big, big impact. So I don't necessarily think that what a lot of healthcare professionals is what they're saying is wrong, but I think that they need to consider more the idea that Apple Watches are here, people have them, people like them. Maybe we should be teaming up on a grander scale, which I know has already started to happen, but I think it really needs to happen a lot more. Um, and actually, it, maybe it's just me, but doesn't it kind of seem like Fitbit has been the company that's been playing more friendly with um, healthcare providers up to this point? I don't know. I mean, I think Fitbit and Apple both and anybody else who wants to be in this space, right, are, are <laughs> like, we need to be... I, I It's it's a little bit like um, uh, a little bit of a PR battle or maybe a, a research battle between them because Fitbit announced that they're doing a, 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 a huge medical study and Apple announced that they're doing several huge medical studies. So definitely there's, you know, they're, they're trying to make the world a better place, but it's also sort of like they want, they want their tech integrated into the medical community. But I know some doctors mm-hmm who think that this is amazing that you know you would never the the cost of sending somebody home with a monitor is just enormous right but this Mm -hmm. is just you know put an app on your wrist (laughs) whether it's a fitness tracker (laughs) or a general purpose watch yeah i definitely like it it's it's wild because i i guess like because everything is so new i remember particularly like when i was in the back of the ambulance and um my uh my emts were like asking me all these questions and they were just so (laughs) they were so surprised by how much like all the things I knew uh, about myself, like everything from just like, what was your last like vital for this? Or, and I was like, you know, I just had my phone. I was like, this, this, that. And it, it honestly helped the procedure like go by so much faster. And he, he remarked, he was like, I don't know if I've met anyone that has been so in tune with your body than you. And he didn't even know the Apple Watch could do that. He was hmm. like, oh, yeah, you can text on that thing, right? I didn't know he could do all these <laughs> <laughs> all these various things. But I don't know. I, 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 I'm into this idea that, like, I guess there's, like, some sort of, like, empowerment that comes with, like, knowing yourself. Um, I just wish that, like the healthcare community, not community, but the healthcare industry could have, you know, and this is a bigger conversation here, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> could, could move at, um, a lasting glacial pace. It is. I think it does say something that, um, you talk about getting in tune with your body that once there's an opportunity here, once you have something that maybe you get it because you want to do fitness tracking or because, uh, having a computer watch is cool. Um, but then you've <laughs> got an instrument that lets you st- gives you data and gives you feedback and and maybe lets you be more in tune with your body and i wonder how if if that will i mean what percentage of people do that and what percentage of people ignore it but like once you've got that sitting there you know maybe it encourages you to get be more aware of your body and be more in tune with what you're doing because you've got that thing there i don't know it seems like it would for a lot of people i i can't really well i guess maybe my story helps uh support this idea, but I, I got my first fitness tracker maybe a year and a half ago and it's a misfit Ray. Like I said earlier, very passive. Um, but ever since then I paid a lot more attention to my training habits and I, I have this data more so for the fitness side of things and trying to get better as a runner and less so for health complications. Although I 
I, I do have this thing called vasal vagal syncope, um, which I'm curious now whether or not having something looking at my heart rate would help me know when I'm about to black out. Um, but that's a whole other issue. That's why I'm definitely hoping that at least like some sort of updates, at least with like wearable technology, can um, start to track like O2 sense um, sensing. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, man, once that happens, like that would just open up so much. Yeah, there. I, I know that the the uh, low energy Bluetooth stuff and Bluetooth five have tied in with um, with uh, blood sugar uh, sensors, so that diabetics can have access, sort of like w- whether they've got a phone with them or whether they've just got a, a a tracker or an Apple Watch with them, that they can now have their blood sugar monitoring happening. And 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 again, what an amazing benefit that is to have that happening in essentially real time or however often they measure, instead of having to stop and do it, and then maybe you get distracted, maybe you forget, and then you get in a bad place. Now diabetics can just have that data and and passive trackers that have the ability to be active in case they notice something is is also a great thing just being able to say hey i've just noticed something weird like what apple announced with the with the watch os update um which i I have gotten one of those alerts but i was at a college football game and something incredibly (laughs) exciting happened and we were all screaming and my watch said your heart rate is elevated i was like yeah it is i i know but it was like it did it it totally noticed that 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 was going on that was pretty great um steven you have a uh you have a child who has seizures and uh you know we were we were talking earlier uh i I wonder if there's something you know something that a wearable could do for that that could really affect your family's life yeah and uh seizure tracking or like seizure it's really seizure warning so you know the the person knows that that one is coming and they can get to a safe place or they can call for help if they're alone uh that's a that's a big deal and uh it's actually interesting there are some dogs that have been trained to detect a seizure coming. Mm-hmm. And I, I've read about it a whole bunch and I still don't really understand how that works. It seems, it seems amazing to me. And the dog can alert the patient, Hey, you know, something's going to happen. Um, but so much of that right now is like really early days of technology and it's a very invasive type thing. You got to wear an EEG cap or something. And, you know, so something like this isn't, you know, going to be in next year's Apple watch or next year's Fitbit, but it's something that I definitely would be extremely interested in following to see again, you know, what can these things provide us? You know, James, I think your point was so good. It's just a watch. And like the MP's like, Oh yeah. Like you can send emoji on it. It can do all that stuff. Um, but it's when it really counts that it can step up and say, Hey, you know, this is something that's heading your way. You need to, you need to be prepared or you need to, you know, call for help or whatever it is. So, I think there's, I mean, we can be here all day and list examples of, of health conditions or various things that uh, it would be nice to have uh, a red flag for. And, and I think we're going to get there, you know, maybe it's not an Apple watch, you know, maybe there's, there's something else out there that can, can answer these, uh, uh, help people with these situations in different ways. But I just think the sky's the limit. And I think that companies like Apple and Fitbit and, and these health, you know, health insurance companies and everything else, like they can make this, they can make this happen. And it's really in the benefit for the customers. Uh, but it's also, you know, a benefit to, um, to the, the medical industry on the whole, you know, there was a story, I think we covered on download in the early, in an early episode about, uh, it was a health insurance company that was basically subsidizing Apple watches for their customers. And the idea was, 
if these customers of ours become more fit, you know, the thing is reminding them to, to, to go for a walk or to stand up or, you know, elevated heart rate, then uh, long term, they will spend less on health care. And you, you can we could debate whether that's right or wrong or creepy or not. <laughs> it's a little creepy. But the I think the idea behind that is really interesting that there's there's it's all benefit for companies to advances technology and i'm i would love the day where you know my son could wear something on his wrist and he could get a notice of hey you know it looks like you're gonna have a seizure you know go get mom and dad or lay down or you know get get your teacher you know whatever's going on uh to make sure that he's safe and i just i look forward to that day i was thinking about technology like um uh we've been talking about the iphone 10 the last couple of weeks that it's got that face scanning technology and it just occurred to me like there's medical conditions that might even be able to be detected by face scanning you know if you pick up your phone to unlock it i mean if you're having a uh, a stroke or there are other neurological things where that where you have a uh, uh a lack of symmetry happen in the face and i wonder i wonder just you know we have these sensors everywhere i think that's the big thing is we have computer things in small spaces with incredible sensors and that means things that we could never have done before we could do well i was thinking about the idea of people who need them the most having wearables um and i was thinking about my grandma actually and Mm. um other senior citizens and i'm kind of wondering whether the adoption is the same for that group of elderly people who seems to have the majority of the health problems that could really benefit from some tracking mm-hmm. on the daily scale. Um, does anybody know what the adoption rate would be or whether that group is getting it? Because I'm thinking about my grandma again, and we're talking about an almost 90-year-old woman who doesn't even want to use a computer because she can't remember how to get to her email even though I've made it as easy as I possibly can. So uh, an Apple Watch to her or even a far less sophisticated tracker would be a really, really big leap for her, but it would be so helpful. Yeah, I don't know. The the that this is the challenge, right? They're the target group that is is could benefit the most in some ways, but you know, older people are also often not always, but often less interested in uh, in, in new technology and adopting new technology. And I just, you know, it's funny you bring that up, like, depending on what the sensors are and what it's trying to do, it also solves issues of like a, a uh, especially if it had like cellular connectivity, but even if it's just a sort of Wi-Fi tethered device, if, um, if there's uh, somebody with a mobility problem who gets stuck somewhere and needs to call for help and they don't have their phone with them, if they've got something on their person and they've got a, a button they can touch or, or, or buttons they can push to call for help. Uh, you know, there's so many other things that go into that. Or if somebody, uh, and I, I hate to use this as an example, but this happens if somebody is confused and lost somewhere and you've got a location for them so you can find them um and and you know a a cellular apple watch will do all of that today um to a certain degree and it's like the early days but um but i don't know because how how easy uh you know even a fitbit and certainly an apple watch is still a complicated enough thing that um i I don't know what the comfort level would be um and you got to wonder too about the medical providers. Like, is that something that comes from their doctor saying you should get one of these, or or not? Because uh, to James's earlier point, um, the medical world is still kind of slowly understanding what these things are, and parts of it are embracing them. But I'm not sure your everyday doctor is going to say you should probably get an Apple Watch or a Fitbit uh, in order to monitor you. Yeah, I definitely hope that like um, 
at least in some upcoming like advertising or something that I guess that's more of the focus um, with like a like a wider range of people like using the watch like you know older age groups or things like that like I know my grandmother hit me up (laughs) and she was like I kind of want one of those things now after she found out Hmm. because like obviously this (laughs) this story kind of blew up and it popped up in her like Facebook feed or something and she was like Oh wow. You know, I, 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 I want one of these Apple watches now. Um, so I don't know, like the interest is there, but just talk to them. <laughs> the baby boomers are in their sixties and seventies now, right? This is a huge demographic group. So, you know, the market for products for older people is huge <laughs> and growing. So the market's there, right? The challenge is, uh, and this is something we've talked about on this show a bunch, which is, can the tech industry, which is so skewed in terms of the general population, you know, it, it is, and it is very young, can the tech industry react to that? Does the tech industry understand the needs of people who are older? And, you know, there's a market opportunity there, but do they, you know, who who's doing, you know, what in that area and who cares about it? Because I think, I think it's very easy for the tech industry to blame older people as just being kind of like, oh, old people don't understand technology. Um, I think you have to put some blame on the tech industry for not caring about older people and how to reach them. And that, and even, you know, with a market the size of the baby boomers, I, it's they're underserved. I think they're underserved by technology, right? Because the tech industry is much more concerned about people in their twenties than people in their seventies. Yeah. Because people in their twenties will be on the earth, uh, longer than people in their seventies. And it, it almost seems like the technology industry, which is constantly changing, constantly moving, just needs to slow down and maybe do some usability studies and just figure out what this group of people really needs and how they're going to use these devices. And oh my gosh, that would be huge. Yeah. I'm not sure they're wired that way, but I think that's one of the problems that doesn't get talked about enough, I think. And, and, uh, I think there's a topic for another show there sometime. (laughs) Uh, But let's take a break and we'll come back. We've got more to talk about in this episode. I want to tell you about one of our sponsors. Uh, This episode of Download is brought to you by MailRoute. MailRoute's a secure hosted email filtering service. You can have it up and running in just minutes. There's nothing to install. MailRoute gets rid of spam and viruses so you don't have to. Uh, it, it's, uh, it intercepts them before they even get to your email box or server. They have uh, ransomware protection as well for Office 365 and Google Apps customers, which is a huge problem these days in the email industry. Malware that can take your files and encrypt them. Uh, mal- MailRoute protects you against this, along with protecting you against phishing, spoofing, harvest attacks, and more. They know about email, and they know how to identify bad email. And you can trust that whenever some new bad thing comes along, MailRoute will take care of it, too. Uh, You just do a couple of clicks, and you're protected. Uh, You don't have to have a server somewhere that you monitor. MailRoute does it all in the cloud. And there's an easy dashboard and even API tools, so you are set no matter what level from uh, super easy too incredibly complex that you need for your mail. Now, mail route sponsorship means that I get to tell you about some of my favorite spam subjects of the week because I am monitoring my spam box through my reports that I get every day from mail route telling me what mail it filtered out. And so this 
this week here here's what i got for you uh i got an email from something claiming to be trump medicare help at obsession dot yellow d dot stream doesn't seems legit and the subject was important announcement your 2017 medicare plan expires soon oh no okay great to know um continuing in the feature of uh spam thinks i'm dutch probably because my last name snell is a dutch last name it's actually German and they changed it when they came to America, but it seems like it could be Dutch. And so I received four premies Volkbestreiting op welke dot u ansprach, which Google Translate says means for liquid fighting premiums on which do you claim? I don't know on which do I claim, but liquid fighting premiums <laughs> seem exciting. So thank you for that one. And finally, uh, and related somehow in English, a revolutionary fabric replaces expensive paper towels and toxic chemical cleaners. So revolutionary Ooh. fabric. Anyway, uh, MailRoute, you can find out more by going to MailRoute.net slash download FM. Sign up today. You'll get a 30-day free trial and 10% off the lifetime of your account. And if you need it, they will price match a competitor's contract if you are shopping. Thank you to MailRoute for supporting this show and getting me in touch with my inner Dutch liquid fighting okay uh i really don't know topic number two uh it's another week and that means the encryption debate uh, lives again uh we mentioned this briefly i think last time but uh it's worth talking about a little bit uh in the wake of the church shooting in texas uh some people at the fbi uh cast some aspersions on the tech tech industry saying that the shooter's phone was locked and encrypted and they wanted to get in it and big bad encryption didn't let them um, Apple made a statement saying that uh, they hadn't been talked to and that they pointed out that uh, if you're a law enforcement and you have the phone and it's a 48 hour window, you can actually use Touch ID uh, to unlock the shooter's phone because they have his body. They could actually unlock the phone and get all the data out of it, um, but they didn't. And the 48 hour timeout happened and now the phone is locked um, separately. Uh, a, a person from the Department of Justice, it's uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, gave a speech last month where he brought out uh, two terms that are chilling, the warrant-proof encryption and responsible encryption. Responsible encryption being defined as encryption where there's a backdoor key somewhere that the government can get to, and warrant-proof encryption being actual encryption. I'm a little biased on this one. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, we had this with the San Bernardino shootings and then it kind of, uh, went away, but it has been bubbling in the background, law enforcement versus technology rights of, uh, of people to have encrypted data on their devices and the rights of governments to try and unlock the data. Um, what do you, what do you guys think about, uh, about this encryption story? Is this, is it reasonable for, law enforcement to want access to our you know to phone data of bad people um and is the tech industry's response reasonable i know that's a big picture thing but i'm just kind of curious what your takes are uh leah well i mean i I always think it's reasonable to ask and i think that um without getting myself in trouble that a company in this case, has a really good reason for not giving out keys to the car, because in this case, the key is essentially something that can help people get into a lot of other cars, too. Um, But something that I guess I see coming out of this is 
so last time I think it was talked about a little bit at the um, at the federal level, they were talking about possibly passing legislation that would give way and force Apple and other companies like Apple to give rid of these get these keys out there to law enforcement. And that's that's what I'm waiting to come up again, because I think somebody had already started talking about it on a on a small level earlier in the year. But I haven't heard any lawmakers talk about bringing back the encryption debate to the floor. And I kind of wonder if it wasn't a result of this not actually being a terrorist attack this time, it being more um, focused on an individual. It turns out that they were trying to harm. Um, but, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if this shooting event will be the one to bring the debate back to the floor. I think it's going to be something else, but I do know it's coming back again. I'm really curious to see. I don't know what what is going to happen to bring it back to the forefront. But I don't think this is that event. Yeah, what happens? I, I think it's. I think you're probably right. Um, and you know, it, it is. It funny. It seems like this all gets more inflamed when the people doing the shooting claim that they are doing it in the name of ISIS than if it's just a gentleman who wants to kill everybody in the town where his mother-in-law is from. Uh, that some somehow uh, one of those is treated differently than the other. Hmm. Uh, but uh, what happens when the government says, if the government said, uh, you need to do this? Because the, the problem here, right, is not that, that encryption advocates fundamentally think the government shouldn't be able to get information with a court order. The problem is that's not how encryption works, right? Encryption, you have to have a key somewhere. And if the key is accessible, that means that somebody else could get the key if it's not you. And so one of the things that I worry about is an encryption kind of crack up where they just make it illegal, essentially, and say you have to provide a key, at which point, I I mean, I don't know what happens. What happens then? Because all uh, encryption is based on the concept that you um, that, you know, you are able to control your key and not let other people look at your data. As a black person in America, I do not trust <laughs> the um, the government in a lot of things. Um, uh, particularly, there was this really, really great um, piece on the outline, um, and it was about uh, Black Lives Matter activists um, that were convinced that the uh, NYPD hacked their phones. Um, and especially like after reading that and just... Um, like being on on the end of uh, like doxing um, attacks, um, I've worked at places that um, pretty much pissed off some um, um, some uh, alt right people, and they decided to like essentially like attack our staff and try to like hack into our like twitters and everything. Um, I'm very very conscious about. Um, like the services that I use and depend on and my passwords. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting this company to keep my data safe. Um, so like me in, in like this like, super radical, like thought process is thinking <laughs> like, you know, like, no, like this, uh, the, the, the data is, you know, the data is there on the phone. Like um, the, these detectives will have to figure out like some other way to like find this other information. Like, you know, like 
uh, journalists are able to find information like these um, detectives should be able to do the same as well um, because like you know if you offer like some sort of backdoor then that becomes a slippery slope it just becomes like hey can we get a little bit more information hey can we get a little bit more hey how about this and then next thing you know like like we're all screwed law enforcement is never going to say they don't need more information right that it's <laughs> right. It, 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 right. And it, it's their job right it's the job of somebody else to say this is too far Right. And, mm-hmm. and that that would be the the legal side of this, the the the, the Congress and uh, uh, anybody else who's making and enforcing laws. But uh, what concerned me in the San Bernardino case is that it definitely seemed like the one side was saying we need all the access we possibly can get. And there was nobody on the other side in government to say mm, that's too far. Instead, everybody sort of like didn't understand it or whatever. And it does threaten. You're right. I mean, it threatens potentially to turn the people who make the products that we use into not like not not serving their customers right because you know right now you buy a phone you you know the maker of the phone and the operating system is they're working for you that's why the encryption is there (laughs) but if suddenly they're not just working for you they're working for the government to make sure that they've got access to your phone then that's kind of i mean that feels like a betrayal to me essentially. Yeah, that sounds like the beginnings of the book 1984 <laughs> except for with um smartwatches. Yeah, the um, screens don't have to be on the on the walls anymore. You just have them in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. And and I I agree with the idea that I don't think this is necessarily uh the case, but the FBI being vocal about it, like anytime they're vocal about it is it is worth paying attention to that because they're laying groundwork, right? Yeah. One day, God forbid, we're going to be in the situation where, you know, they, they feel like, Hey, this is the time that we, that we fight this again. And it is something that consumers should be aware of, you know, regardless of the, the politics or, you know, the, the scope of the tragedy, uh, you know, Jason, I think you said it really well. It feels like a betrayal. Like we have, we have trust in these devices. We have trust in these companies, that our data is secure and safe, both on device and at rest in the cloud. And the day that that becomes untrue, I think a lot of people are going to have to radically rethink uh, how they manage their data. And, you know, it's not that most people don't have anything to hide, but it doesn't mean they want what they have shared either. And uh, we're definitely going to cross that line at some point. I don't think it's this week, but I think it's definitely coming. I think a big part of this problem and it was already alluded to in this conversation, but I think a big part of the problem is the fact that so many lawmakers have very little idea what they're talking about when they talk about technology. And I wonder um, if there isn't a technology savvy individual that's not considering a run, you know, for Congress and you know, what's going through their mind? Do they think they can make a difference? I think they could. Um, and I, I also hope that a younger generation of lawmakers who who have grown up with these devices can make an impact here. So, like, I'm hopeful for the future, but I'm also very um, scared of how far we might go before we get to a future where people know what they're talking about or are in a position to make a difference. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna put a shout out to the Congressional Innovation Fellowship, which is uh, TechCongress.io. Which the whole idea is to put people in congressional offices who know about tech and try to build from the ground up a 
better sense in Washington of how technology works and and in order to have more informed people making these decisions because there is and I can't decide what, how much of it is political posturing and how much of it is actually rooted in ignorance but there is a lot of wish casting that goes on, on uh, around encryption <laughs> where I, I saw it, Rod Rosenstein uh, did the same thing that the Washington po- Post edit board did a couple years ago which is this weird wish casting of like well surely the geniuses in, in Silicon Valley can figure this out they can figure everything out and it's like that's not how the math of encryption works um and then the flip side of that is of course that uh if you take encryption out of uh, ios and android uh people will there's still the software still exists which means people who are dedicated to encoding their stuff will still do it it'll just be everybody else who's casually using it who will no longer be secure which is you know the genie's out of the bottle and it probably means the worst actors are going to still be uh, secret so you know you you is the intent to use the worst actors as a boogeyman to scare everybody into making changes that allow everybody else's stuff to be read by the government but not the worst actors after all because they're too smart and they'll just move on to another app that uses and and encryption because the math is there like it's out there and and there's no there's no magic golden key that every time there's a bit of back door it's leaked right i mean this is we I, forgive me for being an old person um for a moment to say that this is the clipper chip with bill clinton in the 90s it's the same idea it's like we're <laughs> going to create this thing where the government's going to have access to the encryption and it was a failure because it leaked and nobody used it and who would want it? Mm-hmm. Because this is the chip that includes government access, U.S. government access to your data. Let's ship that overseas. That didn't work either. That's why it's important to vote. Yeah. Steve, well, and Stephen, you're right. Um, we'll see. This is laying groundwork. And again, I don't want to blame like law enforcement. I get that they're advocates for their position here. My issue is, who's the advocate for the other side to say, you guys have gone too far? Because unless you believe in a totalitarian police state, surely there is a limit to what police should be allowed to do. Somebody should probably draw that line. Uh, Of course, the FBI wants to read everything and see everything in anybody who might possibly be related to a crime that they're they're uh, they're working on. But, you know, you have to say, no, this is too far on the other side. I don't know. Who is that person? Where are those people? <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We have uh, we have another uh, topic, but I want to tell you about another sponsor. It is Squarespace. You maybe heard of them. It is not a, a, an area of outer space that is square. Although, wouldn't that be something? It is instead a place where you can make your next move to create a website for your next idea. If you've thought to yourself... I don't know how to make a website. I don't know how to register a domain. I don't know how to do programming of web pages and uh, e-commerce. And I don't know how to design uh, websites. Uh, and it can be overwhelming, right? But Squarespace has rolled all of that into one thing. Uh, if you create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, whatever you want to create, it all does it in one place. Nothing to install. You don't have to do uh, keep your server updated and do security patches. Squarespace does all of that stuff. All you do is make your site. And for for that next idea. That's all you have to do. And if you do need help, they also have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you're thinking, oh, yeah, you say that they can do everything, but I'm going to get stuck, the answer is they will support you. Um, you can get a domain name. So instead of being at something dot something else, what did I say earlier this, that the spam was? Dot stream? I don't even know if that's a thing. You can be <laughs> like at whatever domain you want it to be. No slash 
something or other, just your domain, and they will take care of that too. You can use their templates. They're beautifully designed. They look great on phones. They look great on desktop. And how much does this cost, this full service thing? $12 a month. And you don't even need to put a credit card in their system in order to try it like so many uh, do. And, and then you have to remember to cancel it at the end or you'll get charged and all that. You can just sign up at Squarespace. Don't give them a credit card and you can try everything out. And when you do decide to sign up, use the offer code DOWNLOADFM to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for download. Thank you, Squarespace, for supporting download. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. Now, before we move on to topic number three, I want to tell you about the story you may have missed. And usually, Stephen and I go back and forth about what the story is that you may have missed. Uh, But this time, there was no debate. Stephen said, this is it. And he's right. Um, Oath, which is the decomposing body of Yahoo, basically, (laughs) is shutting down... Um, uh, shutting down, we already said, you know, shutting down AIM, that's going to go away. It's also shutting down CompuServe. CompuServe was the first huge, okay, maybe it wasn't first. It was one of the first huge online services. Um, none of the panelists on this podcast were around back then, but it was, it was <laughs> that you would log in and there were people on a computer network who you could talk to and you could chat with, or you could argue about TV shows, or you could play Dungeons and Dragons or whatever you could do. And they charged an hourly fee for it. My first job involved, uh, a, a publisher who was not interested in building web pages when I asked, but insisted that the future was on CompuServe. That's a direct quote. The future is on CompuServe. Uh, certainly the money was there. At a, at, in an era before the internet, you had to pay an hourly fee. Uh, lots of people my age will tell you stories about that first CompuServe bill where your parents said, you, you did what? And then you couldn't use your modem for a while after that. Uh, anyway, CompuServe was still around in a very limited form as a bunch of forums on the web. And uh, there was actually a really nice article that we'll put in the show notes from the Columbus Dispatch because uh, it was based in Columbus, Ohio. And there were still a dozen people working on the CompuServe forums uh, and they were planning, and I suppose it'll still happen, a 50th. Uh, anniversary of CompuServe reunion, uh, but it will go. It will be after CompuServe is already dead because they are shutting the CompuServe forums down. And uh, those the people, you know, communities uh, create themselves, and they exist a lot, often way after the people running the servers that house the communities exist and hopefully all the people who are still in the CompuServe community will move somewhere else but it's time to pour one out for CompuServe one of the greats along with AIM right you know there's still a Netscape page somewhere too one of these days it's going to get turned off as well in the Relay Slack by the way we have a Netscape animated emoji thank you Stephen Hackett I think that was your I blame you I have a personal brand to protect. Yeah, that's right. Old, old <laughs> tech. Anyway, what I'm saying is, dear CompuServe, uh, thanks for the fun. Uh, sincerely, uh, 73075,740, which was my ID on CompuServe back in the day. Why do I still remember that? I don't know. Anyway, RIP. Let's move on to topic number three. Uh, creepy, <laughs> creepy stuff. Hey, yeah, let's talk about creepy things in tech. There was a big feature in Gizmodo <laughs> this week about 
uh, how Facebook figures out everyone you've ever met. Uh, there's also a company called SafeGraph that's tracking everybody's locations. I mean, everybody during the holidays. And this is just the most recent in all sorts of stories about uh, creepy tech that uh, knows everything about us. We talked about the upside earlier, right? Which is, I feel like the show has got such a flow this week. We talked about, <laughs> hey, our tech knows all these things about us that could save our lives. And it was like, oh, but are we going to ha- be, be private with encryption? And now there's like, or Facebook knows everybody you've ever met um in the gizmodo story they even mention how um a a man was had his uh what was it his his child that had been adopted by another family recommended to him as a friend um they mentioned anecdotes about uh about sex workers having their clients uh you may know them uh, connected on Facebook. <laughs> it turns out that a lot of this, the theory is, is that y- you basically Facebook uploads your entire contacts database, including things like nicknames, and then it can compare and make linkages. And even if it's not visible to you, it's powering a lot of the associations that Facebook makes. Um, the uh, another story that was amazing was that there was a reference to somebody's nickname that, it, that somebody made. And there was like, how do you know that's my nickname? That isn't something that I have online. And obviously somebody had put it in a contacts field somewhere and Facebook slurped that up and put it in the database. Uh, and you don't even need to be on Facebook to have these connections made because they, they have, I think, I think Gizmodo called it like a shadow profile of every human being. So, hey, happy holidays, everybody. How do you, what, what do you, what do you think, uh, James, what do you think about Facebook seeing all and knowing all? And among others and Google and Amazon and everybody else. Yeah. I mean, like this is like incredible timing because I've been really thinking about this a lot um, because like the other day um, my therapist was recommended as someone um, to friend. And I'm like, this is like the last person I'm going to friend on Facebook. Um, and then, and then also like I noticed um, I, I was just um, back in Chicago um, for a, um, an audio conference. And of course, like you go to conferences and you meet people and you add people to your to your contacts um but i noticed when i got back home that like at least three of these people were in my like uh people you might know and so it just it really made me think like oh yeah they're definitely doing stuff with the contact book um but like i don't know i kind of feel it's it's I guess like very much similar to like what we've been talking about here it's like there's a trade-off with a lot of different things it's like Facebook is a useful tool for me, um, you know, keeping up with my family, um, you know, getting work, things like that. But I mean, it's like, you're, you're going to trade. I mean, like we all know the adage, like, you know, like you are the data. Um, and, um, I don't like, I really don't know how to feel about it because like I'm actively deciding, Hey, I'm going to keep my Facebook account. Um, but I'm making this trade of, you know, they're going to know my data. Like I, I just pulled up, um, right here. I found this out from this reply all episode that, um, had just launched, um, where it talked about like, Oh, does, does Facebook listen into you and everything? And they showed you how to pull up your categories as in like how Facebook sees you. Um, and they have all these various things. Like I'm looking at it right now. It knows that I am quote unquote African-American, my birth date, um, knows that I own a business, my politics, my family, the phone I use. Um, you know, I really don't know how to feel about it. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's all a trade-off. It's all a trade-off. Well, it seems like 
I think a lot of people have heard these stories like Facebook has 90 some odd data points about each individual person and Google knows this and, you know, all these different companies know things about you. But people aren't actively making the decision to delete the account. So clearly, these companies are providing a service to them that they feel is more valuable than the data they are losing. Um, and maybe part of that is they don't really understand what they're giving away or they don't understand what that data is actually worth from an advertising perspective. But maybe maybe there's a, a level of uh, information that people need to be taught about these pieces of information so that they will have more value in it. Does that make sense? <laughs> Value, I mean, ascertaining value. the value of a of a of a human being and the connections between like them. if yeah if an individual knew like the sheer value of the data that they're giving away um, essentially for free um, every single day and if they knew that maybe ten years ago I mean heck I would probably sell my own data and I would be out of debt right now and that would be great um, but somebody <laughs> else thought of it first and uh, I mean I'm still using Facebook. I'm still using Twitter. I'm still using Gmail. Um, I have location services turned on in my phone. I mean, even I see value in these things, the services that I'm getting in exchange for this for this data. And it's it's almost like until there's something egregious enough that just makes me decide to turn it off, like that's that equation is just going to be wonky. <laughs> there's the Google argument, right, which is sac- you sacrifice some privacy for uh, free services from Google and Facebook too. Uh, I think one of the things that, that made me perk up a little bit is just the reality. And this is a little bit like, like Equifax and things like that, where there's like, there's a system that's built up to collect data on you and you don't really have a lot of control over it. Um, And if you do, if you don't partake in Facebook, it doesn't matter. Like Facebook will connect the dots and create a virtual you based on everybody else you know um and that that seemed the most disquieting thing to me that uh that opting out is not something that's so easily done and uh yeah it seems it's troubling steven i have a database on you by the way so oh no (laughs) it's 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 all good i'm sure it's fine it's good favorite snacks yeah hobbies all right do we need to beat beat facebook up anymore or we I mean, it's like for, for for them, it's good. It's good. It's good business. It's incredible business for them. I mean, like having all the, like like um, you know, it's like as you said, Leah, like having all this information about um, each one of these people that they're uh, that they're using, like it, you know, you could sell them better stuff. I mean, like I will say, like the ads that I get served are pretty popping i mean like i definitely i i will say i've bought a toothbrush from <laughs> something that i saw <laughs> in my facebook feed um so i mean like yeah it's creepy but i mean i'd rather get relevant ads which it, it, which is kind of hard to say you know as like saying this out of the same mouth that was just like talking crap about privacy like <laughs> a segment ago um but uh, yeah it's 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 a very like it's something that i'm still grappling with because like to be honest like these a lot of these things are under 10 years old you know like this like we're essentially the first generation that is really like tackling with this um i don't know i don't know i'm scared (laughs) 
I was served an ad about two years ago uh, for a T-shirt that it had like the Superman logo, but it had a B in the center and it said Super Becerra. And um, <laughs> it blew my mind at the time. I don't know why I didn't think that it was possible or that like the ads could be that targeted, but I thought it was cool. I thought it was so, so, so cool that Facebook knew this about me and served me an ad for something that I would legitimately want to buy. So maybe there is something to what you were just saying about how the the quality of the ads is better and I'm actually okay with that because I really don't like to be sold things that I have no use for or that I don't that I don't think applies to me like it's almost insulting sometimes to see an ad for something that I'm like duh like I already have one of those or like why wouldn't somebody have this but but that super Becerra shirt, like, gosh, I still wish I would have bought it to this day. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> like, it's so specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get I get the um, uh, name of my... There's a picture of three dudes against a wall with, like, great tech startup in name of my town. And I see it everywhere on the internet. And it's like, well, at least they got the name of my town right, I guess. Because <laughs> sometimes they get, like, a weird town that's where my ISP... Uh, like IP address is registered, but th- these guys, whoever is serving that ad, they know where I actually live. So, yeah, I'm never clicking on that. But kudos. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, I just checked my Facebook now to see what kind of ads I'm getting, and I have ZZ Quill. Um, so they must know that I can't fall asleep because I'm so anxious. So I, you know, it's this is very interesting. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of now that we've creeped everybody out again, heartwarming to start creep out to finish. What what am I doing? Uh, It's like a twist ending. It's not Halloween anymore. Why did that happen? Uh, What to look out for in the week ahead? Uh, American Thanksgiving next week. Yes, we will have non-Americans on so as not to spoil the, uh, the Thanksgiving of Americans other than me and Stephen. And we're going to record it a day early, so we won't, we won't spoil anybody's fa- uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so bad, bad week for CompuSurf this week, bad week for turkeys next week. I guess. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Uh, James T. Green, where can people find the stuff that you do? Um, so you can head to my website, jamestgreen.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at underscore James T. Green. Nice. And Leah Becerra, where can people find the stuff that you do? Well, I work for the Kansas City Star, and our website is actually kansascity.com, or you can look me up individually um, on Twitter at Leah Becerra. And my own personal website is actually leahbecerra.com, so it's really easy to find. Awesome. And Stephen Hackett, thank you very much as always. You're welcome. And everybody out there, thanks for listening. I'm Jason Snell, and until next week, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.